Want to listen to Sower LA preachings on the go? Well, now you can with our Sower LA podcast. You can listen to all of our preachings and messages that we have on Sower LA Encounter Night. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. Sower Ministry, a new evangelization. Deacon Doug said, I have the privilege of traveling around the world and bringing the life-changing message of the gospel to um, those who need it most, those who are impoverished, those who are struggling for identity and purpose. Even in our own nation, I find that we are the ones most in need of the gospel, most in need of the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Um, And in addition to those things, It's great to travel around the world. It's great to have the privilege of serving the poor. But my absolute favorite thing that I have the privilege of doing is teaching a catechism class on Monday nights to little middle schoolers. And has anyone taught a catechism class before? Raise your hand if you've ever taught a catechism. Okay, yeah. A couple of us. It's really fun because the kids are so cute because they're so excited to hear anything that you have to say. And they receive everything so well. Um, And two years ago, I started teaching pre-catechumens, so they're like in sixth and eighth grade. They're a little bit older. They understand things a little bit differently, and they always shock me with their questions. So last year, I was teaching about how there's a second coming of Christ, and um, I was trying to explain in middle school terms to the children what that meant, and one little kid, he was so cute. His name was Brandon, and he raised his hand, and so I called on him, and he said, Miss Chacon, and I said, yes. And he goes, I have a question. And I was like, of course. He goes, uh, so if you're a Christian and you're in space and the second coming of Christ is when you're in space, will Jesus still save you even if you're in space and not on the earth? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, where did you even think of that from? But, of course, my answer was, um, let me check the catechism to see if the catechism has any answers on that. Um, And I told him, "Uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure. I don't think it's explicitly in the catechism. I don't believe it's explicitly in scripture, but I'm pretty sure if you were in space that Jesus Christ would save you um, even then on the second coming. Um, So they always have the cutest questions. And sometimes they have really hard questions to answer. And they shock me with the things that they understand and the things that they're learning in school. So a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, that we were, I was teaching them about the Ten Commandments, very basic, and one of the things I was teaching them about was thou shalt not kill. And so I just went into teaching them that it's a little bit deeper than just that you shouldn't kill your neighbor, but also it goes into respecting human life and human dignity and life in the womb. And so one of the girls who's about 11 years old, she raises her hand and she goes, are you talking about abortion? And I said, well, Yes, abortion is murder, so it's wrong to have an abortion because it kills the child. And she goes, what? Abortion is murder? 11 years old saying this in catechism class. And she turned around to her friend and she said, abortion's wrong. And so I tried to explain it very delicately that we believe that and we know that the life in the womb is sacred and it's the own separate person is the life in the womb and we must respect and love that, that life. And she told me that in school, they taught her that if you get pregnant and you don't want the baby, then you have an abortion. And that was so shocking to me because when I was in middle school, they didn't teach us about abortion and it wasn't so normal 
for an 11-year-old girl to say that the quick fix to pregnancy and her understanding was abortion. And that was the choice that was better if you're, quote unquote, not ready, which is what she told me. And I realize that the war between good and evil and right and wrong is growing stronger every single day. And the culture war is not just when we go out on the streets, and it's not just what our children might find on the internet, but it's actually being taught to our children, normalizing, and let's just call it what it is, normalizing evil and murder in a sixth grade classroom. And as Christians living in America, we are at war with the culture. And the battle to protect and defend human life has never been more important than it is today. Scripture teaches us in Ephesians that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. In today's generation, just being Christian is controversial because the culture expects us to compromise in our virtue and in our morals. We are battling between good and evil, life and death, truth and deceit. And the problem isn't just that there aren't enough believers, but the problem is, is that the people that are believers, the people that are Christian, are too afraid to say anything, are too afraid to fight, are too afraid to stand up to the culture because of fear of entering into conflict and frankly, just because of apathy. The reality is it is not enough just to stand on the sidelines and wait for someone else to speak up. God is calling you in your life in whatever way you can to live a life of uncompromised faith, uncompromised virtue, and uncompromised morals. Christianity is a call to action. And part of that calling for each and every single one of us is defending and protecting human life. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, that whatsoever you should do unto the least of these, you do unto him. The very least of these in our society are the unborn. I believe we're afraid to talk about abortion because it's uncomfortable, it's considered taboo or sometimes too political. But I want to encourage you to know today the importance of your voice in this movement. And if you have your Bible, does anyone have their Bible? Raise your hand if you have your Bible. Yay, we have some Bible bringers. Woohoo! Okay, awesome. Awesome. While we're doing that, I just love scripture. I think reading the Bible on your phone is awesome and it's great to have the Bible app, but there is nothing like the written word of God that you can hold in your hand. I believe that scripture speaks to us. Bible says that the word of God is living and active, and I believe that to this day. Awesome. So once you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew 10:34. Yes. <laughs> Matthew 10, 34. When you have it, say amen. Yes. So I'll read it, and if you follow along with me. And this is Jesus speaking. 
Think not that I come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. How many of us have heard the scripture before? How many of us know what it means when Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace on earth but a sword? This is kind of makes Christians uncomfortable when we hear this. We're like, oh, but Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Well, it's important for us to understand the context of the scripture. And the word sword in its original translation isn't like a sword that a soldier would take. The sword is actually, uh, during the times it was a kitchen utensil, much like a knife, that was used to separate food. So what Jesus is saying isn't that he came to bring the sword of war, but actually to set things against, to separate, to separate. And we see that in our culture today, the stark difference between good and evil. And this is the work of the Lord. It is important for us as Christians to not be apathetic. Because later in the scripture, what Jesus is saying to the disciples, he's not saying that he's going to necessarily put war between sons and daughters. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that if you're apathetic in your calling, if you're apathetic in your Christianity, then you're not worthy of him. He's calling us to take up his cross and, or take up our cross and follow him and pay the ultimate price, which is exactly what he did for us. Again, Christianity is a call to action. And so some of us were apathetic in our unwillingness to bring up the topic of abortion because, again, it makes us uncomfortable. Well, the reality is, is why is abortion uncomfortable? Why is it so taboo to talk about? And why is the culture continually trying to normalize it? Jesus calls the disciples to decide which side they're going to be on. And he lets them know that apathy is not the option he's calling us to. And he calls us to that same decision. He wants us to make the decision, what side are we going to be on? And he makes it clear that we cannot be apathetic. We've all heard the argument, I'm personally against abortion, but I think that women should have the right to choose. How many of us have heard that argument? Yes. Because we think when we say that, that we're saying that we're pro-life, but we're avoiding conflict. And the reality is, is that we want women to choose. Absolutely, women should have a choice over their own body. It's an integral part of human dignity and respecting human dignity. But what is the real choice that we're talking about here? I think everyone in this room would agree that it's never okay to kill an innocent human being. Raise your hand if you think that. I hope all of us. Abortion always takes the life of an innocent human being. It is up to us as Christians to take a hard stand on this. If we don't protect the God-given sanctity of life, who will? We are the beacon of hope and truth in our society. And it is our duty to lead society 
in protecting and advocating for human life and human dignity and putting human dignity to its rightful place. We cannot remain silent as babies are slaughtered for the sake of convenience. I remember the first time I learned about abortion. I think I was 15 or 16 years old. I was in high school. Um, and I learned, the definition that I learned was that it was the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy. I come from a large family. I have five siblings. Raise your hand if you have a lot of siblings. Yeah, beautiful to have a lot of siblings. Loud, but beautiful. Um, I have a lot of aunts and uncles, and on both sides, family is the center of our life and the center of everything we do. That and food, food and family, is the center. and faith, of course, that goes without saying. Um, so the idea that a mother could kill her own child or that a baby could ever be so unwanted that it could be thrown away and discarded was shocking to me. The more I learned, the more I realized that our education systems in modern society have tried to normalize abortion by using terms like choice and reproductive health care. But there is nothing normal about a mother killing her own child. And this caused me to research into why women are having abortions and what, what were the statistics behind this? How did this even become so normal in America? According to the Guttmacher Institute, which is the Planned Parenthood research leg, the overwhelming majority of women are getting abortions because they feel that a baby would drastically interfere with their education, work, or ability to care for their other dependents, or they cannot afford a baby at the time. In other words, they didn't feel ready because they felt that having a child would risk them their future, their freedom, and their happiness. And this is the lie that society has sold us, that motherhood and children are a setback to success. And society has bought so much into this that we're even having laws that allow for the killing of children after they're born. And I want you to know these statistics. 18% of pregnancies end in abortion. More than half of the women getting abortions are in their 20s. One in four women have an abortion. This is a crisis. In the most recent recorded year, in America alone, approximately 862,320 abortions were performed. That's 862,320 missing children in our generation because we have created a culture where life can be discarded at the sake of convenience and human dignity has been diminished to such a place that the murder of our innocent children is considered a human right. The abortion industry and progressive feminism sell the lie that abortion is empowerment. They sell the lie that only some women can have children and be successful and have a career and achieve their life goals. They make a profit off of our daughters and our sisters, and they indoctrinate our youth to believe in a culture of use, a culture where we're not responsible for other people and we're only responsible for ourselves. Abortion has turned mothers against their own flesh and blood and men and women against each other. This is the uncomfortable reality of abortion. 
Our church teaches us that human life must be respected and defended and protected absolutely from the moment of conception. From the first moment of his existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person. And I love this quote from Pope Paul VI. God, the Lord of life, has entrusted to men the noble mission of safeguarding life, and men must carry it out in a manner worthy of themselves. From the moment of conception, all human life must be cared for, protected, and defended with the utmost care. This is part of our calling as Christians. Again, we are the beacon of truth and hope in our society, and it is our duty to advocate for the least of these, to advocate for the most vulnerable, to advocate for the unborn. I want you to know that you were not called for apathy or to stand on the sidelines and watch this generation live in turmoil. You were created with a unique purpose, a unique calling, and a voice that's meant for this generation. If you could go with me to Jeremiah 1.4. This is actually one of my all-time favorite portions of scripture because I think it's so powerful. I feel like sometimes we're afraid to read the Old Testament because we feel like it's maybe boring or something. But I don't know. I think the Old Testament's when all the juicy stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, so Jeremiah 1. And just to give you a little background on what's happening here in Scripture, so Jeremiah was pretty young. He would be the age of us. He would be a young adult, maybe a little bit younger. And he was living in a time where there was a lot of controversy happening. A lot of people were worshiping idols and a lot of things that were despicable in the eyes of the Lord were happening. And this portion of scripture is called God's calling to Jeremiah. So uh, we're going to start on verse four and I'll read it with you. Then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before they, they camest out the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then I said, O oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So I have this day set thee over the nations and over kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. That's so powerful. Can we get an amen just for that scripture? Amen. Just like God called Jeremiah... He's calling each and every single one of us because what's happening in the times of Jeremiah and what we're reading in scripture in the context is really not that different than what we're seeing today. And if anything, it's probably worse now. And I think a lot of times we talk ourselves out of our calling. We talk ourselves out of what we know God is asking us to do because the devil gets in our ears and he starts saying things to us like, you're too young, you're not smart enough, you're not educated enough. Who are you to do that? Who are you to say that? 
And we buy into that lie because we're afraid of what happens if we were to take the courage to follow God's call. But I want you to know and I want to encourage you that you don't ever have to feel that you're not competent enough, that you're not old enough, that you're not strong enough. Because the promise that God makes to Jeremiah is the same promise that he speaks into the life of every single one of us. And it's Jeremiah 1.7, but the Lord said unto me, say not that I am a child. And that could be, say not that I'm too young, say not that I'm not smart enough, say not that I'm not brave enough, that I'm not the right person for that, it's not the right time. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. This scripture passage is twofold because just like God knew Jeremiah before he was even in the womb, before you were even in the womb, God knew you and he preordained you for a purpose. He preordained you for this time, for this generation, for the world's issues and for what we're facing today. God has called you specifically to this time. And just like he knew you, before you were in your mother's room and had a plan for your life, he knew and had a plan for the lives of all of the children that have been aborted. Scripture says that he knits us in our mother's womb. So all of the children that have been aborted, that's not just the loss of a life and the loss of a soul. It's the loss of God's purpose, God's plan, and the incredible things that God may have intended to do with that life. One of my favorite saints is Mother Teresa. She's so awesome. She's so awesome. Has anyone ever heard the quote um, where Hillary Clinton asked her why she thought that there hadn't been a woman president yet? Well, Hillary Clinton asked Mother Teresa that question, and Mother Teresa responded, because she's probably been aborted. And I wonder how many amazing, incredible plans that God had for the children that have been aborted. I wonder what future presidents, doctors, lawyers, founders of incredible companies like Amazon, that's a pro-life story. His mother was going to abort him and she chose life. I wonder how many little children didn't have a future, didn't get to fulfill God's plan because maybe we chose apathy. Someone chose to stay silent. Someone chose to not advocate for the life. Someone chose to not encourage the mother because they felt that apathy was easier than saying the truth. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of race or disability, God has a predestined plan and purpose for every single person. And it is our responsibility to defend, protect, and fight for the lives of the vulnerable, to fight for their purpose, to encourage mothers that feel alone and scared that the church is with them and that God is with them to encourage men who are struggling with responsibility that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. For women who have had abortions to know that there is healing and mercy through Jesus Christ and that his love covers a multitude of sins, that there is redemption and grace available to them. And most importantly, it is our responsibility as Christians to fight against the evil that we see in this world to live the calling that Christ has called us to, to the best of our ability, trusting that we are on the side of victory. 
Deacon Doug mentioned that when I was 20 years old, I was in Egypt ministering to the persecuted church, and I had a radical shift within my heart. Prior to that moment, I probably had everything that a 20-year-old girl could want. I had the best job. I had my dream job. I was working for a makeup company and doing very well. I had the cutest boyfriend, and I had the greatest social life. I was going out every weekend, and I thought that it was so great. And I looked really happy, and I, it, my life looked great on the surface. And behind closed doors, I had a brother that was struggling with heroin addiction. I was developing a serious drinking problem. I had a boyfriend that was an alcoholic, an honest-to-goodness alcoholic. And because of my boyfriend's lifestyle, I started having that lifestyle as well. And the more that I went out and the more that I drank and the more that I tried to fill my life with all of this exterior, the only thing it did was pull me deeper into conformity, compromise, and heartache. And one day I looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize the person looking back at me. And more than I just didn't recognize her, I hated her. And so I said a simple prayer. I said, God, I know this is not who you created me to meet. For This is not who you created me to be. I know that you promised that anyone who is in you is a new creation. And I ask you, Lord, to come into my life and give me that new creation life. The next week, I called my grandma, who I, some of you may know her. Her name's Dr. Michelle Corral. <laughs> I called my grandma, and I said, Grandma, I'm having a really hard time. I just want to get out of Orange County. Can you, is there any way that you can take me under your wing? I had no idea what the Lord was going to do. And I went to Egypt, not, and I was just praying for people, and I didn't really know what was going on, or I didn't feel worthy to pray for people because I was so miserable in myself. And actually, my grandmother was on stage, and she called out to the, to the audience, and she said, there's someone in here. And you've been wondering why you're so unhappy and why you feel like you don't fit in. Jesus is calling you to give your life to him. And my heart just started burning. And I was like, Jesus, are you talking to me? Lord, are you talking to me? And I made a simple decision. I made the decision to give my life to Jesus completely. And in one year, the Lord took me from being rock bottom pit my mom was threatening to send me to rehab, to traveling around the world, working with my grandmother, bringing the love of God to the most impoverished places, and speaking at my first ever women's conference. And if God can do it in my life, he can do it in yours.